Good morning. The children are dismissed to Children's Church. thank you for this day. We thank you for everyone that is here, Lord. We thank you for your presence and your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you are in this place and that you've given us your word to encourage and uplift us. So, Father, we come before you to honor you this morning, to, to study your word and be encouraged by it, Lord, convicted and moved. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your mercy, that it is new every morning. We thank you for the work that you're doing in individual lives in this building, Lord, and we just come here to honor you today, Lord. We thank you. May you guard my lips and bless this time. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I'm sure he couldn't sleep at night, this man of power. He was someone that had authority, who had done great things in the community and helped build the infrastructure of those that were underneath him and everything around him. But the fear of God came upon him when he heard of the birth of Jesus. King Herod the Great was a horrible man. He was a man that actually even had his own sons executed because he was afraid that they were coming against him. He was a person even older in age, but he couldn't stand the idea of anybody on the throne other than him. And here we have the working of Jesus and the miracle in Bethlehem. We have a baby that is to be born. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He went, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
So here we have a king that just, even in the midst when it says they had no, he calls all those that, that would be in the know and ask them, where is this Christ to be born? And when they tell him, it's not the fact that the prophecy, you know, how do you know if a prophet is a true prophet is what they say comes to pass. There is 60 to 70 prophecies in regards to Jesus' birth. Now, all these things, even if someone was to try to master plan that, to happen, it would be impossible. And here we have a man that's all he's thinking about is not whether or not it's true and how significant that this child is born and that not the three magi, we think that's only three or the three kings because of the gifts that they brought. But in reality, it was a large force of people. They traveled 900 miles. I don't like to drive 900 miles. I can't imagine walking or caravanning the way they used to, to come to this place to worship the king, the God of peace. They traveled so far, it shook Herod so much that he had to find a way to deceive. He says, hey, I want to worship him too, but we know that's not his intent. And even in God's providence and all-knowing, he provided a way out, even though in the natural he thought he had them. He thought he could figure it out. And I say that because it's interesting. A baby isn't threatening. A child isn't threatening. It's the most vulnerable. And that's why it's so hard to understand that God would come into this world in such a vulnerable state to save humanity, to reconcile a lost people back to himself. Reconciliation, to, to restore that which is broken, that which is lost. The people were disturbed, the government, Herod, the world, if you will, even the religionists, they, the religious folks of the time, they didn't want to accept it because to them, their Messiah was going to come in a political way to free them from the oppression of Rome. So in their idea, hey, their Messiah is going to help them in this time of turmoil in their life by getting and removing the conflict to them. That was peace. That's the peace that they wanted. But you know what's interesting when we talk about peace in the Bible and shalom? It's not just, it's a peace, an inner peace that you are right with God. It brings, because of that, you are at peace with your circumstances. It's in the world you say, oh, we want to be, why can't we all get along? Let's just have a world of peace. That means absent of conflict then we're at peace. But biblical peace is something completely different. Biblical peace is a peace that is content in spite of the conflict or the trials or the storms or the heartache because it is founded on the one thing that does not waver or move and that is Jesus Christ. It is founded on God. If you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah prophesied this many years before Christ has come. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee and the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, 
and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. These men rejoice. This is fulfilled in Jesus. And he says even later in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus says to his disciples, and this is right after they were struggling with him talking about going on to the Father. They didn't want to understand that. They liked him right where he was. They were comfortable with that. They were afraid to think of him not being there. And we know what happened when they had came and taken him from the garden, that everybody just disappeared. That all the things they said and all the great intentions that they had when it came to the fear that overwhelmed them, they scattered. Jesus knew that, and in his love for us, he, it's just like he says to Peter, feed my sheep. He encourages Peter, even though Peter had made a failure and said, I would never, ever deny you, and he denied him three times. But God in his grace and mercy still reached down to Peter, and he reaches to all of us today in the same way. When we look at Isaiah and what is being spoken here, when Jesus said that, the disciples were like, hey, we don't want to hear it this way. We want you the way we fashioned and imagined you to be. And Jesus says to them, but I'm not like the world. I'm not going to give you something the way that the world does. What is that picture to you? What does the world give you, really? It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, right? Every man for himself. He who dies with the most toys wins. If I had what they had, I'd be happy. All these things that is a fad, that is fleeting, all these pleasures that last for a moment but then dissipate and disappear, he is something that gives something so much more. He gives a peace that's not based on the natural, it's based on the supernatural. It's a peace that not only changes your life, but will help you weather the darkest storm because you know what? It doesn't matter about the storm because the kingdom of God is not of this world and he has called us to a greater calling. He has called us to be no, not only know him, but to walk with him. He reconciled us to himself. And when the religious people couldn't get it, guess what? He went out to those that were fishing. Jesus is faithful. And he can give you a peace. There's a reason it says it's a peace that passeth all understanding. Because you can't fathom it or understand it. It won't even make sense to you naturally. Because it's not based on the natural. It's based on what Christ has done. And our willingness to humble ourselves and come before him and say, yes, Lord, I want that in my life. I want to know that kind of peace. It's not based on who's going to win an election. It's not based on, on prices and inflation. It's not based on sickness or health. It is based on who he is. And he watches over his word to perform it. People will come to God for a lot of different reasons. They'll come and say, I want to believe in Jesus because they're having a hard time or a difficult situation in their life. Maybe some of you were raised in the church and you saw hypocrisy. Well, welcome to the club. It's everywhere because we're all a work in progress, some more than others. But the question you have to ask yourself is, do you know him and are you at peace with him? Have you given yourself to him? It's not words alone, it is life. It's a struggle, but in it there is peace. There is joy. 
I love it when I say his mercies are new every morning because sometimes I was a jerk yesterday or even in the evening. Sometimes I might say things I can't take back. I may be the only one, but I do that at time to time. Sometimes I make mistakes, but I'm okay with owning it because I want God to work in me and through me, and he needs a teachable vessel. And so when I look at God's mercy and his, great, his grace, it's just like this. I was walking in darkness, and I have seen a great light. It is Jesus. He has come. And you know what's awesome? When people come and try to talk to you, this is just, let's break it this way. When someone wants to speak into your life when you're going through a difficult situation, it's kind of hard for you to listen to them if you know they've never been in your situation, correct? Why do you think it says, Emmanuel, God is with us? He came and lived and walked on this earth with all the same temptations and heartbreaks and heartaches and everything that we go through, and yet without sin. Why? To restore us to God. That is the gospel message. That is the good news beyond presents and Christmas. In fact, Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th, and that's okay. We celebrate him this day. We celebrate him this day because of who he is. And as a baby, he came, and it doesn't make sense. Why would he do that to show us how to live humbly, broken? He came and died on the cross and took something that wasn't his, our mistakes, our sin, our shame, and he wore it and hung himself on that cross, allowed that to happen so that we may have newness of life. And there's so many people, I don't care where they're at in all the things in Western Christianity in the world today, no one will know where you are but you with God. You can pretend, but you know what? God sees right through our facades, doesn't he? It was significant because we have a God that removed, he's not removed from our hardships, but he was born in it. He was so involved with creation and longs to redeem us so much that he came and dwelt among us. For the world will leave you cold but, and void of understanding, but the Lord comes and gives us something that the world does not give, a peace that passeth all understanding. Turn with me to Colossians. This is why I think even though Herod didn't fully understand, maybe he just thought, I don't want to deal with this child. I don't want to deal with his lineage. Let's just wipe him off the face of the earth. After all, he kind of had a good thing going with Rome. He didn't want anything to disrupt the status quo, if you will. But yet he couldn't accept who Christ was and he wanted to destroy it. And I think because deep down he was an agent of the enemy. And in, in, in being an agent of it, some people work and they don't even know they're working for darkness. And they make decisions and they, they, they put things in place and they, they might think they're doing it of their own free will and maybe they are, but they are definitely persuaded and nudged. We see it in society today all the time. There's people that go, well, I mean, I walked into a gas station this morning and the song on the radio was, I'm going to hell. But I mean, I, so much so that I asked the guy, I said, that's not really an encouraging song this morning now, is it? <laughs> well, it's on, a, it's on a song list. You see, why is there a fascination with those things? Why is there such a fascination with the world today to remove God from everything? Have we not learned from our past? 
Why is there such a fascination to, to uh, mock God? It says that there will be scoffers, and yet we, don't live in a, we live in a world where it's openly scoffed. God, Jesus, is mocked more than any other religion in the world, and you know it as well as I do. I've never heard anyone make fun of Buddha, Lao Tzu, any of those things. I've never heard it. But with Jesus, there's a mockery that is just so overwhelming because they hate the fact that God sent his only begotten son to restore us to him. And he is the father of lies and he's come to steal, kill and destroy. And there's nothing that satisfies him more than destroying your life from the inside out. Having you believe things that aren't true. Having you listen and, and bitterness that might be formed in a true hardship in your life. Somebody had wronged you, but instead of learning to let go and let God have that vengeance, his mind says the Lord, let him work through that. Instead, you hold on to it and you don't even know you're crippling yourself and your family. It affects everyone. We see it all the time. He loves it when ministers fall. He loves it when people make a bad representation because he says, look over here, there's no power in it. But he doesn't understand the battle has already been won. But the enemy doesn't stop lying. He doesn't take a day off. He wants nothing more than to keep us complacent and not walking in the peace of God because when you are in the presence of God in your day-to-day -day life, and I say day-to-day -day life, because everyone in the Bible was moved by God in their day-to-day -day life. They had to go make a report of where they were for taxes. Joseph and Mary, all these things are things that we would go and you go, I don't know if God's gonna do anything. In the very simple tasks of life, God is always moving. It's whether or not we can see him. And to see him, we must be able to yield to him, submit to him. It's not a one-time thing. It's a practicing discipline to walk in the peace of God. Last week, I talked about joy. Joy and peace go hand in hand in the sense that how do you remain joyful? It says in the word of God to, in everything, give thanks. Not only when things go our way, we need to have an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness. When you, instead of looking at what you don't have, look at what you do have. Instead of looking at the time you don't have, look at the time that you still have. Does that make sense? Sounded kind of weird, but you get what I'm saying, right? Instead of worrying about things you can't change, let it go. Give it to God. You can't change people, but you can work on yourself. In Colossians, this says it all. The Colossians was a, a small group of people an early church that was filled with so many different ideas in regards to God and, and spirituality and their superstitions. They were very superstitious. And so when Paul is writing this to them, he wants them to understand the supremacy of Christ. And so he's writing this and he says it in a way, and it's one of my most favorite scriptures, and it's one I would encourage you to memorize because when you think things are falling apart, you remind yourself of this scripture, you read it to yourself. And I just believe it brings the presence of the Lord because the word is living and active. Amen. So in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him all things were created, things in heaven and earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together.
Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He says to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is making, I am one with the Father. He's saying, I am the image of God right before you. Even as a child, he is the image of God. Over all creation, by him, all things were created for him. Invisible and visible. Thrones, powers, rulers, authority, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There are times when you feel like the bow is going to break. Like one more thing, and it's just going to... Some of you might not be there, or you've been there at one point in your life. But there are people walking around in this town all over where just one little straw is going to break the levee. It's just going to break apart. Our lives are meant to be in right union with God, and God has made a way for us to be that light for others as they walk in darkness, as we were once in darkness. It says in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to him all things whether on things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's a peace that isn't based on circumstances or what someone else does. It's a peace that comes from inside because you've humbly come before the Lord and submitted and said, Lord, what do you have for me to do today? And then even the smallest task that you do throughout the day in a job that you might hate or whatever you're going through, or wherever you are is an opportunity to experience God. I believe that. But it starts here. And it starts here. Are you willing to seek him? Are you willing to say, Lord, help me in this situation. Know that you're working in my life. If it's feelings, I would not be here because some days I don't feel it. Feelings are fickle. We have something greater than that, amen? Would you agree? something deeper. We have substance. You know what I like? One of my favorite scriptures when, when they, they the, I think it was the religious leaders were say, thinking, hey, you know, who are these guys, these fishermen? They're not learned men. But they could tell when they saw them that they had been with Jesus. There's something I believe about their countenance that changes when we spend time with the Lord. You don't even have to say words. And I believe the Holy Spirit resonating in you affects those around you. And you, we, we live in a society, well, if someone's telling me something, i got to fix it, we got to talk. And sometimes you don't have to talk at all. You could just be there and ask the Lord in your spirit, Lord, what should I do? What should I say? And he says, so by that peace that comes through the blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Sin separates us. And keeps it separates us from God. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be restored. But even now as Christians, when we fall and we continue to make bad decisions and you get upset and we're wondering why we're not hearing God, it's because we're not submitting to God. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect in that sense, that you're never going to make a mistake, but we are to strive to be right with him. Amen? It's not always fun. But after we do it and we continue to do it, we begin to say, right when we, for me personally, I might sometimes get a bad attitude for whatever reason. And in that attitude, the Lord speaks to me and says, well, I'm like, well, Lord, you and this, and I think, and then he's like, yeah, what about that time? Oh, yeah, that time. 
you were faithful. Oh, and how about that time? Yes, Lord, you were faithful then too. It makes me just shut up because God has been faithful to me. Amen? I mean, when you think about it, God is faithful. It's the enemy in your mind that just can't accept what he's wanting to do in or through your life. That's why you need to bring your life to the cross so that you may live a life to the fullest. It doesn't mean you're a super religious person and you beat people with your Bible. It means that you are in communion with God and you talk to him and he speaks to you and you believe it. You believe his word is living and active and you begin to experience it. And the more you're faithful, now you have testimonies of you being faithful and God being faithful in return through his word to glorify his name. I believe if you want to honor God, he will open doors that you can't even think of opening. But you have to give it to him. If you want to do it yourself, good luck with that. You're going to get tired and burn out. Even in the ministry, people can try to do it in their flesh and they get burnt out and then they get angry and you got to go, was it God telling you or was it you telling you? Was it God telling you or do you just think that's what you should do? Usually when God calls someone to do something, your flesh wants to go 100 miles that way. But you know that you know that you know you're supposed to do it. Amen? Sometimes that goes with calling someone you might not like or forgiving someone that seems hard to forgive, right? I think all those are important for you to actually maintain and walk in the peace of the Lord. Once you were alienated in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. It's a state of harmony. Your life begins to be in harmony with God because you are right with him and when you know you've done what you've, he's put on your heart to do, when you say, Lord, help me clean my house, work on things, he'll tell you. And when you struggle, you keep giving it to him. And as you overcome those things, you begin to hear him more clearly and experience him more and more in your life. But it's always coming from a place of trust and total trust upon him. Total trust that he has and knows what's best. And sometimes that's difficult when we feel like trust has been broken. Sometimes it's difficult. It says in Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, Surely the arm of the Lord is not short to save, nor has his ear dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. There are certain sins that we do or things that we have in our life and, and that is separating us from being able to hear and understand God. Because as a Christian, we give him things and you won't want to do things that displease him. And as you mature in your faith and you want to hear him, usually you'll know that you're the culprit in why you cannot hear him. Amen? And when we're faith, and you know what? His mercies are new every morning. He loves us. He's made a way for us because we couldn't do it on our own. That's the deal. We couldn't. He had to come. Walking in peace. It's cultivated in a strong foundation of faith and trust in God. We must remind ourselves of his promises and trust in his plan, even when faced with uncertainties. 
by prayer and meditation. We need to regularly spend time in prayer and meditate on scripture. This helps us align our thoughts and concerns with God's perspective, fostering peace in the midst of our challenges. In other words, we have to take an active part. Again, like I said last week, a lot of time people say, well, if I feel better, I'll do something about it. That doesn't work. I'll feel better. If I feel better, I'll get out of bed and not just sit and mope. Any mopers in here? Don't raise your hand. Right? People can mope. Men can be great warriors, but a cold and moping can send them right down the wrong aisle. Right? Moping. Woe is me. How many of you could, how, how many of us could really play the woe is me game if we wanted to? Right? What are you going to feel like four hours later? I encouraged someone before and they're like, the last thing I need, okay, isolation seems to be working really great for you. You need to get out of yourself. How many of you know our, our biggest enemy a lot of the time is ourselves? And moping doesn't solve anything. It actually generates unthankfulness. No gratitude for anything. And all you're going to see is negative. The way to change that is to take an active change in making it happen and saying, okay, I don't feel like it. Guess what? When you don't, when you begin to do things, not because of how you feel, but because you know you should and you do it and you ask God for strength, he'll help you do it. And when we do that, we'll begin to see fruit. Amen. Fruit's important. It's a surrender and a submission to God. Practice surrendering our worries, our concerns. Everyone worries. Everyone has concerns, but we need to give it to him and trust him for the outcomes. Also, gratitude, which I missed, mentioned, forgiveness, community, obeying God's word, mindfulness and presence. Be present in the moment, trusting that God is with you, even if you don't always feel it. If you know you've prayed and asked God to be with you, you might not feel him sometimes. We call it a desert experience, where sometimes you're just wondering what's happening in your spiritual walk. You continue to study the word, you recite it, and you ask God to give you guidance. How many of you have been woken up in the middle of the night with something on your heart that's heavy? Right? And they, you wonder why that person's on your mind. You haven't seen them in a decade. Maybe it's the Lord telling you to pray for them, to stand in the gap and intervene for them. It's in these things that we grow closer to God, in these small acts of obedience. Amen? One, especially when no one sees it and you don't get a ribbon for it. You do it because you want to honor God. Managing stress, it's the same thing. How do we do, take practical steps to manage stress? You just give it to God. God says to cast all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares. We have to be reminded that he cares. Obviously in the letter they did, he says, you need to cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. God cares for every one of you and including me and our families and those around us and this community, he cares. So he's made a way. I know I'm encouraged by it. In Philippians chapter four, if you wanna turn there. When Paul was talking about pressing towards the goal this is something that I was really encouraged by. Oops. Really encouraged by. You know, there's that one verse that really haunted me growing up, and that was 
He who continues to sin after he's received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but just a fearful, raging expectation of fire that'll consume all of God's enemies. He who continues to sin. He who continues to go over the speed limit. He who continues to not forgive, right? All these things, right? Is, is that ever scared any of you? You're like, I don't think this is gonna work, right? You guys are awfully quiet. You familiar with the verse? I'm gonna share something with you that encouraged me. If we're a football team and I'm your coach, we're all going to play a game. The enemy out there, the other team, is really good sometimes. And I need to encourage you that we're gonna go out there and we're gonna win. I don't come out here and say, guys, we might do it if we try really, really hard. If you go out there and you just plan on it, it's gonna ha- we, we could maybe, we might lose, but that's okay because, hey, everyone's winners in society today, right? Hey, we're trying, the E for effort, that's all we're after, guys. Or how about I say, we don't lose, do we? No, we win. We're going out there to win today, not be losers. Right? Who would you hire? We're going to hire Jesus. Amen. Thank you for bringing it back around. <laughs> but think about it for a second, right? You're going to encourage. That's what Paul is saying. So when I say reading it in context, yeah, you're not supposed to continue in sin. But he's saying, hey, this is why. Because they, in that context, they were going back to their religious ways instead of trusting and having a right relationship with God. They were putting more of their efforts in their religious attitude than they were about dying and just being in a relationship with God and listening to his spirit and being obedient. They were really good at going to church, but they weren't really good at knowing the Savior. So he's writing this to encourage them because over here in Philippians, this is one of my favorite passages because it helps encourage me. He says to them in a different spot, Philippians chapter 3 verses 12, on pressing towards the mark, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So he's not saying he's perfect. Perfect means mature. He's saying, hey, I have, I'm not saying I'm there, but I'm going for it. I'm straining for it, I'm I'm reaching for it, I'm laying aside the past so I can deal with the future. That's what he's saying. And I I said that because sometimes when we read the scripture, you're like, well, man, I just, there's there's no way I'm gonna be able to, you couldn't do it. That's why he sent Jesus to come and die on the cross for us. That's why he sent Jesus as a baby to come into this world and to give us peace. That's why he came to restore because we couldn't be good enough. And he wants us to know him intimately in a way that we can commune and talk to God. Not with just a religious attitude, but with a true confession of heart. Some of us have to hit rock bottom, some of us don't. Some of us can feel the Holy Spirit working on you, you respond, you experience God, that's great. Some of us dealing with anger, past issues, we can't let go of things because we can't trust God because we blame him for things he had nothing to do with. 
All of these things took us into one place. When Herod was there, he could not stand that someone else would be on the throne. And the main reason that people reject Christ today is because they want to be on the throne of their own life and they can't accept anyone else taking that position. But it is in that place that we experience true peace and joy. I'm talking something that you don't have to understand everything, but you're okay because inside you're right with God. Amen? Isn't that amazing? Inside, when we're right with God, it is a peace that is just overwhelming. In Philippians 4, it says, 4 verses 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. We're being told what to think about. How many of you, including myself, make an effort to think about those things that are noble? Our mind always likes to think of what's broken, what can be fixed, what's happening over here. All these things that are out of our sphere of influence, we can't do anything about. But yet, when it comes to our mind, we just give it over freely. Music, everything in our life can affect how we think. And he's telling them right here, start with thanksgiving. In every prayer and petition, let your, bring your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. We know in the word of God, it says the heart is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart, it says. It tells us to guard it because out of it come the issues of life. In this world today, people give their heart to so many things. They don't even know the damage they've done yet, especially in the youth today. They have no idea what they're doing until later when they look back. And we live in a time where we can help encourage and motivate and lift up people and be a light in that darkness. That's what we are called to do. But to do that, we need to be right with him ourselves. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about the future. But everything give thanks and let your requests be made known to God. And he will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? Imagine a sturdy oak tree standing tall in the midst of a storm. Its branches sway with the force of the wind. The leaves rustle loudly, yet its roots run deep into the soil. Despite the chaos above the ground, beneath the surface, the tree remains firmly anchored. In a similar way, a person's life anchored in faith can exhibit peace amid adversity. The storms of life might buffet them, challenges and uncertainties and trials swirl around, but like the oak tree, their inner peace is rooted in a deep, unwavering trust in God. And this peace does not depend on the absence of difficulties, but rather on the resilient connection to the source of strength beyond themselves. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God of peace, that you've come and you dwelt among us. You came 
in, in such humble means, Lord, to restore us in right relationship to you. Father, I thank you for your living word. I thank you that you hold everything together, this earth, the cosmos, everything around us, Lord God, is created by you and it is for you. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you for your word, their encouragement. Lord, I pray in, the, in, the, in your name over this, this congregation today even, Lord, as we go about Christmas Eve and Christmas, that, Father, we would keep our hearts and our minds before you and we would give thanks for what you have done. Lord, those that are far from you, may you draw them near. May they know that your spirit is pressing upon them. And Lord, those that need to be restored and healed, would they know that you are the good shepherd. And that, Father God, we can do all things through you who not only strengthens us, but you are also the author and the finisher of our faith. And we thank you for that faithfulness. Lord, we pray to be faithful in what you've given us. We thank you for all your goodness. And all of God's people said, amen. May you go and be a blessing. Merry Christmas. Come to the Christmas Eve. Be in prayer for it. It'll be a wonderful time.